We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are recording a little bit ahead of schedule, obviously with Thursday being Thanksgiving. We are recording the day before Thanksgiving to get you ready with actionable stuff uh, for those Thursday games. There will be two, not three anymore, uh, with the Ravens and Steelers game being uh, pushed back to Sunday. But we still got a couple Thursday games to get to, of course, and then uh, the entire uh, Week 12 slate here. So a lot to get to, Mario. Um, I want to lead things off in Detroit, where we have a... (laughs) a rivalry for thanksgiving we have the lions hosting the houston texans a lot of bad blood uh between between these two of course you know um but sorry this is this is insanely dumb probably but what is what, what is the bad blood oh i'm i'm completely facetious these teams play each other like you know oh, once okay. four years <laughs> see that's how you know i'm smart you have to explain jokes to me Although if I if I if memory serves, I think the Texans played up there and Indomitian Sue, uh, his foot uh, met the groin of Matt Schaub uh, several years ago. Oh, that's a classic genre of uh, NFL drama. Yeah, Indomitian Sue stepping on guys. Uh, that, yeah, um, I guess as as far as uh, you know, even though there's no even though there's no 
uh, bad blood that recent ones that we can recall from these two teams i I feel like they could almost just get mad at each other in the the fight for just like supreme futility like (laughs) the the one that that's most wasting everybody's time and you know the careers of two good quarterbacks uh that that's that's something they can i guess take issue with with each other that yeah that's true that there's a crown to be had for that and these two are you know two of the top uh, candidates thereof. Um, let's get things started on the Detroit side of things because the the injury situation there, a little bit messier. You know, you, you just alluded to Matthew Stafford still dealing with that thumb. I mean, the Lions are coming off one of the most anemic performances in, in recent memory on, on Sunday against the Panthers, you know, getting blanked 20 to zero or whatever it was. Any reason for some semblance of a turnaround this time around with with Detroit? I mean, even with it being on the short week? <laughs> Probably not. There's there's quite a lot of the injury report action with the Lions, as, as you said. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with the Stafford thing. I assume he's more or less fine. I assume the DeAndre Swift thing is going to be kind of like a last-second call, right? Because he's listed as questionable. Yeah. And he's probably the only interesting player on the Lions, you know, mainstream interesting player on the Lions right now because Galladay's out again. Uh, I know Marvin Jones is, you know, Marvin Jones is good in this matchup for volume reasons, but I don't know if I expect him to have the matchup advantage over uh, Bradley Roby, who I assume will follow Marvin Jones around. So if you don't have DeAndre Swift and you don't have Kenny Galladay, if your best two receivers are Marvin Jones, I guess TJ Hawkinson, Quintus Cephas or something, that's that's pretty bleak when it's Deshaun Watson versus your bad defense that you have to keep up with. But there might be some kind of like, of course, anything could happen. The Lions could win. I just doubt it. And uh, to the extent that they are productive, I would guess it's kind of like empty calorie stuff. Uh, you know, maybe carry on Johnson catches five passes because no one else can something like that. That could be useful in PPR scoring on the, the DFS slate or whatever. OK, sure. That that definitely tracks. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that. Yeah, empty calories definitely goes with with the Lions on Thanksgiving this time around. Um, like you said, the, the, they're just going to be so decimated by injuries as far as their, their top guys go. That Amendola you know, is also out. So um, there now that this might be an upgrade, but uh, Jeff Okuda's out and Amari, uh, sorry, Amani Orawarie, who had I think been their kind of number one shadow corner in the past few weeks, he seemed to get hurt today wednesday so he's showing up as limited with a back injury and he's questionable so maybe he he might be out too so they they're they're a bad team to start with and they're the backups version of themselves so we'll see Oof, that that's brutal um on the houston side of this one uh it's not quite as as bleak as far as the injury report is concerned at the right. very least um but if you could lend some insight into the, this receiver rotation, you know, who does it set up well for particularly um, this week when it comes to the, this uh, Houston wideouts loadout? Yeah, it looks like Randall Cobb will be out. So Kiki QT, I imagine, would pick up most of the snaps that he'd get. Uh, that is what happened last week after Cobb got hurt. I still think QT is good, by the way. I know he's had a weird career trajectory, and, and some of it might have had to do with like a little bit of an alienation from Bill O'Brien. So I think he's one of those guys who could do good with uh, the new coaching regime, whoever that ends up being. But in the meantime, the injury to Cobb kind of forces them to put him on the field. And if, if he's on the field, I think 
you know, I'm, I'm assuming he's a little bit talented just because he was so productive at Texas Tech. Like he was a right. really high volume guy at a young age, um, bigger volume than all his teammates, but a lot more efficient than all of his teammates in a high volume passing game. And then he, you know, got to a fast start his rookie year. So I really like QT a lot in, you know, DraftKings, stuff like that. Maybe even season long, if you if you really need a receiver, I think you could do worse because uh, he's probably pretty good at it. And I don't know what to make of Orowarie and Desmond Trufant. They started out the year with Trufant as their shadow guy, and it seemed to be Orowarie the last few weeks. Um, Trufant getting hurt might have had something to do with that. But with Orowarie getting hurt today, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where their where their personnel is, and, and Okuda is out, so it's going to be at best like uh, Orowarie, Trufant, and then in the slot Daryl Roberts, I assume. So. All of them are not very good is the thing. Like Orowarie might be their best one, but he's probably not any better than decent. And Trufant is not the Trufant uh, who, who, you know, at the start of his career was so good with Atlanta. So it doesn't really matter who covers Will Fuller or who covers Brandon Cooks. They both have a big advantage over whoever's against them. And then QT has, I think, I would give him the advantage over Roberts in the slot. So uh, I don't even know who would play corner, though, if Orowarie is out. I, I don't know who their fifth guy is. Okay, so that that obviously green lights uh, as far as these Texans receivers go. Um, let's get into the, their tight ends and uh, their their running back situation a little bit as well. So between Fells and Akins, do either of those guys have the arrow trending upwards this week as well? It's annoying, and it very well could come down to these two guys in the uh, you know the the DFS slate because. One of the, either of them can produce. Both of them are effective, but they do different things. And the the way that one of them will produce more than the other is subject just to situational kind of like random stuff. Like Texans choose to call a play action bootleg in the red zone this week. And if the answer is yes, then the answer is Fells. And if the answer is no, then it's Aikens. And, you know, we might have theories as to which is more likely than the other, but I don't think there's any way for us to know. So they're both worthwhile picks in the DFS slate, certainly. And, um, you know, it's, it Fells is a guy who's more active in the red zone. So I guess if you, for some reason, think that Houston spends a bunch of time in the red zone, um, maybe Fells sets up for one of those touchdown, uh, you know, those, those, those jump balls at six, mm-hmm. seven, two eighty or whatever he is. So, uh, whereas Aikens <laughs> is the guy who's more likely to play kind of like a slot receiver snap here and there. Okay. All right. That's a, that's a good summation of, of what's going on with those two. And then finally, uh, with Duke Johnson, that this could be uh, his last chance to, to start, <laughs> um, you know, with, with David Johnson potentially coming back from, from IR, I think after, after this week, correct me if I'm wrong, but Detroit, terrible run defense. Duke Johnson obviously coming off of a, of a tough game against New England uh, with just 10 carries for, for 15 yards. Any reason for optimism this time around? Well, it's it's looking like Miami Duke Johnson just isn't really going to happen. It's still possible, I guess, but it seems pretty unlikely. And I don't know what he is if he isn't Miami Duke Johnson. Like, I don't know how to get my hopes. Like, I might normally when, I, when I'm in a truther kind of mode. But the matchup couldn't get much better. And if the Lions really are in a downswing and it seems like they kind of are then the script will be heavily in his favor, whereas I don't think it with the script specifically. Well, the script was, I guess, in his favor last week, but um, the matchup is better this time. And in both cases, you know, the script might the script being in his favor might matter more in this game than it did last week. So I, I think, you know, especially for the DFS slate, you'll probably 
if you're making two lineups, I think you'd probably want Duke in one of them. And I will probably, you know, I think there's a really good case to make for game theory reasons to consider him even over someone like Ezekiel Elliott, who we know is better and costs more and is, is going to be um, projected higher for totally good reason. But it's like it's a one game. It's a, it's a one week, two game slate and weird stuff happens. You know, if, if, if you can get Duke Johnson in a maximum workload, maximum matchup situation at a time when people are lower on him than ever, it seems like a reasonable time to buy in even if you are skeptical of him at this point i think okay all right so that that definitely tracks i definitely have some interest in, in him um you know you you mentioned going truther mode so i have to um have to press you on further than any interest in cj Procise. no i don't know that, that guy's been such a weird player his whole career even back at notre dame and he's only gotten weirder with time in the NFL. So it's, it's a reasonable thing in like a, certainly the DFS stuff. So if there's a showdown slate around a single game, so that's when pro size really gets interesting, but it, I can't believe he's better than Duke. I, I just can't do it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. He's so interesting we'll, though. He's novel. Definitely. Okay. And he did see, let's see, 15 offensive snaps last week. So he looks like he could be involved again. If he gets he's a few fast. bites at the apple, he's he fast. Is fast. And he can catch. So it's something there. Yeah, and again, you know, the Lions are about as good of a defense as you could hope to face, you know, in terms of four-year fantasy projections being, you know, in the favorable direction that the Lions are decimated, like we mentioned, and just overall not that good on defense. So Terrible. it should be, on a per-play basis, looking pretty good as far as... Quit. That's what the, I would do if I was them, <laughs> playing for Patricia on Thanksgiving. I yeah. Mean, just don't show up. No, <laughs> thank you. All right, let's move on over... We got the football team traveling to Dallas to face the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys are two and a half point favorites in this one. It looks like uh, we get Andy Dalton versus Alex Smith, as we all envisioned uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, just open the floor to you on how you think this one's going to shake out. Well, I know in DraftKings, Alex Smith is really cheap. I'm probably going to try to just go with Deshaun Watson in every lineup. Uh, which which may or may not be reasonable. I have no idea. But Alex Smith could theoretically get volume against the Dallas defense, which is weak. Uh, but that requires I, – I think that would require Dallas actually moving the ball and putting up points with some consistency, threatening on offense with some consistency. Because as much as Dallas is up-tempo, or at least has been up-tempo to this point in the year – they only dictate the tempo if they are dictating the game generally. And if Washington dictates the tempo, it might go downward. So there's a lot of risk there as much as, you know, if you're, if you're putting in kind of like a long shot lineup, going cheap at quarterback has certainly worked in the past. I just am not convinced that Smith really gets there because I'm kind of pessimistic about the Cowboys. Um, I'm bad at, you know, single game kind of calls sometimes. So I don't, I don't know what to make of, uh, founding my logic on the idea that Dallas will, will look kind of bad, but they looked really bad the first time they played. I don't know what's gotten better for Dallas since then. I guess, I guess Chidobe Awuzie in, at corner is better, but does that matter against Terry McLaurin? I don't know. It's I, I think Dallas will try to run the ball with Elliott, I guess, uh, because I don't know how much they can really be ambitious on offense with Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Uh, who are both really good, and the Dallas tackles, I, I think, could look more like they did a month ago uh, than they have the last couple weeks going against those two guys. And if Dalton starts to look the, more like he did in the Arizona game than he did against the Vikings, which still wasn't that great, um, but if he does start looking more like the Arizona game, then I guess I could just imagine this game looking like the first time these two teams played. Um, so I, I, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm not getting my hopes up for a ton of volume. Like Terry McLaurin, yes, of course, always. Uh, certainly in a, in a matchup like this, he's, he's going to produce, I would or I would assume. So I can't really get my hopes up for my guy, Steven Sims. They're still having him split snaps with Isaiah Wright, which I think is ridiculous. But aside from that, Cam Sims isn't good. That's going to fall off. So I don't see any – I don't see Cam Sims bailing out Alex Smith with, like, big plays. So I think it's all going to go through the ground – or, or most of it anyway. So I like Antonio Gibson a lot in this one. Logan Thomas, I guess, should have the opportunity to be the, the second receiver, but he's been so inefficient all year. I don't I don't know if there will be much there necessarily, certainly in play, but I, I'm mostly looking at McLaurin and Gibson. I don't think Washington plays urgently enough in this game to need McKissick a whole lot, but he's obviously in play. He's their guy that when they you know need to play catch up, I just, I, I don't really see them needing to play catch up in this one. Okay. Yeah. The, the, that's an interesting thing re- regarding the game script and and tempo here because I'm looking at a couple of the of the props and Alex Smith has kind of been all over the map as far as his as what he's been tasked to do. I mean, 32 attempts against the Giants, 55 against Detroit, and then it, it gears back down to 25 last week against Cincinnati. Right now, it looks like his his um, over under for for completions is sitting at 22 and a half. So, huh. do, I mean, that, that just seems to suggest that it might be a little bit more up-tempo of a game for, from the, or a little bit more high volume from, from Washington than it was a week ago. Yeah, I guess, uh, what are we looking at, like 36 pass attempts to make that happen, realistically? Like 38, 36? Um, that strikes me as a lot. I don't know. Um, I might... I haven't, I haven't tried to do prop stuff, so I haven't, I haven't tried to, like, get in a good... Uh, prop analysis sort of process so, so maybe i'm missing some obvious stuff here but uh i guess i lean toward the under but that that might just be me kind of like doubling down on my assumption that uh you know the washington defensive line kind of screws up the dallas offense and their weak offensive line and then washington gets into the antonio gibson script rather than the mckissick one because we need if, if you want alex smith to complete more than 22 you want to see as much as mckissick as possible because uh, it, it means they're more likely throwing the ball in that play but I, I feel like it's an antonio gibson game and if i'm wrong then the smith thing goes over i guess okay all right that that definitely checks out um, anything to add on the on the um, Dallas side of this as far as like, um, you know, the obviously we, we mentioned Zeke earlier, but anything, any extrapolations about their receiving core from, from last week that might apply this time? Well, I think there could be a little bit of a funnel effect away from the outside corners because Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby have been playing really good this year, whereas the inside coverage hasn't been as good. The slot coverage where there's Jimmy Moreland. He might be okay, but he's probably he's just not as good as the outside guys. So uh, C.D. Lamb, I think, is pretty high floor in this setting. Not to not to curse the guy or anything. Uh, knock on wood, I think he's pretty safe just because he's going against the worst of those three corners basically every time he runs a route. So he can be he can be on like the lower part of his baseline and still come out ahead of uh, Cooper and certainly Gallup, who just I don't know if he's useless at this point or what. Not getting my hopes up. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I mostly see CeeDee Lamb on the Dallas side because just he's he's awesome and the matchup is so much easier than than Cooper and Gallup have. Okay. All right. That, that definitely checks out. And, yeah, Lamb seems to be really uh, coming on strong. Um, you know, the, this rookie receiver class just continues to to amaze uh, you know, yeah. didn't really think that that topping last year was possible, but I mean, here we are. The the depth of these guys is just unbelievable. Let's move on over to 
the Ravens-Steelers game also has a, a star rookie receiver in that one in Chase Claypool. Obviously, this one has been moved off of the Thursday slate um, and over to Sunday amid some COVID issues uh, with the Ravens. Steelers checking in around four-point favorites, or at least that's what it was uh, before this game What was pushed back. We knew that the Ravens were going to be shorthanded potentially in the backfield with J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram likely being out because they're on the COVID list. So it looks like it was going to be the Gus Edwards day as far as the backfield is concerned. What's your What's your initial impression on this matchup? Well, I don't like it at all for Baltimore. It is interesting, the idea of you know Gus Edwards having more or less the running game to himself, but it's it's not nearly so favorable as last year's scenario of, of doing that against Pittsburgh. It's this time like the, even if Gus Edwards is their only running back and I know they have justice Hill, but like, even if they committed to using Gus Edwards all game, the script could get away from them certainly by, you know, the third quarter or something, but maybe even earlier because I, I don't know what is going on with Marquise Brown in that offense and the, the, the offense generally, but it feels to me almost like a Philadelphia kind of thing at this point where it's like, it doesn't even really matter who the players are and what their talent level is, how good they are, because the whole operation is just so dysfunctional that it's it's become an incoherent scramble. It's, it's, it's just a flailing sort of thing rather than a plan that's being executed well. And I, I know Des Bryant looked okay in that game, but them signing him and getting him into the offense kind of reminds me of uh, the, the Eagles signing Jordan Howard and bringing him into the offense. Like, th- uh, it's I one thing to say the Eagles signing Vince Papali or whatever. Oh, no, I, I just mean as far as like it's <laughs> – it's like they both are kind of acknowledging there's a problem by making the signing, but the signing is so self-evidently pointless that it, it becomes clear. It's like, oh, you have no plan. You have no idea. Like, this is this is the best you can think of, isn't it? And this is not good. This is not a good best you can think of uh, kind of thing because it's, it's it just shows, like, if, if they can't have a useful perspective on this, then we don't know that they're particularly lucid about anything. And so as much as I think... You know, yeah, some of it might just be yips, you know, timing related, quirky, bad luck outcomes to this point with Marquis Brown particularly. But I think it's more like the entire the entire uh, system has basically failed. And in the meantime, they just aren't in a position to change. Uh, you can't rebuild an entire fallen apart structure in the middle of a season, especially a season like this one. So no, definitely not. And yeah, uh, I'm pretty low hope on Baltimore all year and certainly in this game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, I, I watched them very closely, of course. And, um, you know, I, I thought that Lamar Jackson played well on Sunday. I didn't. Think, yeah, you know, I think so. I thought he did against the Patriots, too. Like, I think he looks good despite all of this. But it, it's uh, yeah, it's such a mess. Right. The, the, so the system is is bad. And then the defense showed kind of its true colors or, or sort of like the what a lot of people were expecting going into Sunday's game. They, they they held the Titans in check, I thought, for the first three quarters or so. But when the Titans ne- needed to get into into go mode, they were able to without much resistance. I think it, it is huge. I mean, you, you saw Derrick Henry with the with the walk off touchdown that the, the run defense in, in the middle is a problem still. I don't know how much the Steelers really are going to exploit that necessarily, but it, it's still a problem nonetheless. I mean, I'm not saying that James Conner is Derrick Henry or anything, but can you know make it sting a little bit for that Ravens defense, help move the chains, keep that yeah. possession going for the Steelers. So that, that inability to get off the field when you have Calais Campbell questionable, 
Um, and I don't know if he's going to be able to give it a go. Brandon Williams, of course, um, not sure what's going on with, with his status. So it's it's bad news in Baltimore, kind of on, on both sides. And I think that they – I thought going in – if they were – Going to play on Thursday, I would have thought that the Steelers were probably going to win by at least a touchdown. And yeah. I am kind of still of that opinion, uh, even with this game getting moved back. Yeah, I don't know how much Roethlisberger is going to get Pittsburgh to score quickly. Uh, I, I still think he's terrible or, you know, he's not he's not very good right now. And he's he's getting by uh, by the skin of his teeth with these kind of just chain moving plays that that are real close to being interceptions a lot of the time and Mm -hmm. maybe Baltimore's defense comes out fired up and kind of makes it close for a bit even shutting down the run for a bit but it just feels like one of those things like Lamar Jackson would have to go truly superhuman to overcome the circumstances that he's dealing with against a defense like this and short of that it's like the, the the passing of time in this game has to just kind of be more of a weight on on the Ravens and eventually uh, even if it's like we're we're uh, we're thirteen to seven and it's like five six minutes left in the third quarter if we end up in that situation then it's I think if necessary someone like Bunny Snell or Anthony McFarland is going to start ripping long runs and and that's just kind of like how the game goes out sort of thing but there's also a chance that the Ravens or sorry that the Steelers just kind of score quickly against a team that has nothing left they really don't and you know even some of the some of the parts that you would think would continue to be strengths that they kind of prevent the bottom from falling out, like the the cornerback personnel, you know, with um, with Peters and Humphrey, neither of them are playing particularly well right now either. So I mean, it's it's just bad news across the board for the, for Baltimore. So I, I anticipate you know all those Steelers guys to be able to to produce. Deontay Johnson obviously getting a ton of volume and and uh, you know putting up nice fantasy production as a result. Claypool obviously one of the best big play guys in in the league already. Uh, Juju, um, still getting it done. Maybe not quite to the extent we would hope, but but still definitely involved. And then Eric Ebron is running a ton of routes as well. So I wonder if they test um, the the safety personnel like Deshaun Elliott or anything. Maybe he has some struggles uh, keeping up with, with Ebron. So that that'll be something to to monitor as well. Yeah, it's uh, I, I guess. I would expect Claypool and De- Deontay to have the easiest matchups because Humphrey last week, he would like shadow and, and base, but then he would go to the slot in three wide nickel. So you're going to be nickel at least all the time against Pittsburgh. And if he is in nickel and he's in the slot, that means that he's on Juju, which means Deontay and Claypool are running against Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters, which is probably easier for them than Juju. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that would make the tougher or the easier matchup. For those two, as opposed to, to Juju, if he's if he's getting shadowed uh, by Humphrey, I know that they've they've kind of done that um, in the past. So either way, um, things looking very good for Pittsburgh and uh, not so good. Let's get on over to the Titans going up against uh, the Colts. We this was a game that you know when we were on the pod a couple weeks ago, we could not figure out for the life of us how how um, that line had settled as uh, Indianapolis road favorites in Tennessee. And then, of course, Indianapolis goes in and, and really takes care of business pretty impressively um, in that game. So only a little bit of time has passed between then and now. This game being in Indianapolis, we we see the Colts as three-point favorites in this one. Uh, what are your expectations? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- I think you, you lose a little bit of the Derrick Henry effect when you're in a dome. Uh, especially this late in the year, so so I don't know if he'll he'll have the pain factor in his favor like he like he normally would this late in the year. 
So if that's true and there's more burden on Tannehill, that just creeps me out always. He he showed some some good play last week and he, he, he always was capable of good play, but still capable of getting rattled too. And he's one of those guys that I don't trust to be able to read a defense especially well, especially Aberflus, who's good at disguising stuff with his zone coverages. So um, AJ Brown can take stuff over. Corey Davis is playing at a very high level this year too. So those guys are going to do a good job. It's just like Tannehill to me is always a coin flip and I don't really want to flip a coin exactly with this, with this Colts defense playing the way it has this year. But um, yeah, I guess I, I guess I lean Colts, but I don't know if, how I feel about that three and a half or four. I might need more like three or two or something like that. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. This one should be a close one. Um, you know, Indianapolis built to win, but not necessarily to, to win convincingly. They, they just kind of play a grinded out style and come out on top more often than not, it seems. Um, but but yeah, I think your your assessment on, on Tannehill, I mean, a couple weeks ago, just 147 yards on, on 27 attempts. That that was really uh, a nothing performance from him. That was really tough. And I don't expect it to be too much better um, this time around, uh, I know that there won't be any any weather factor here with, with it being in the dome, but still a little bit skeptical on Tannehill. That's bad for the well. Titans' defense too, because their their defense still sucks. Like it's, yes, uh, yes, they cannot get pressure. So you know, I think that as much as I, I love to rip on the guy um, in the year 2020, I think this sets up pretty well for Philip Rivers. He's going to at least have time yeah. to operate. T.Y. Hilton could have his uh, first big game of the year in this one. Uh, we, we I, shall I, see. actually, let me see. I don't know if Adoree Jackson is back yet. He's been practiced or he's been hanging around off the IR. Um, if, if, if Adoree is in, that would be a slight concern for Hilton. Not, not for the Colts though, because then Pittman just goes off, uh, that much more obviously, but sorry, let me just get this injury report real quick. Adoree's out. Never mind. So yeah, Philip Rivers, if if he has a bad game here, he's a, he's a big idiot. (laughs) <laughs> it's just fully on him and and you know you alluded to Pittman I'm definitely in on Pittman it looks like his breakout is real and it's going to sustain through the rest of the season and beyond of course and then um just hit us with like your latest impressions on, on this uh, Indianapolis backfield rotation um I think it just kind of def- depends on the um, games flow that they're in they said after that uh god who did who do they play where Taylor didn't play and Hines did. I can't remember that team already. Um, anyway, I guess that the Packers. That was like two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Um, that was against, um, it wasn't a, was it against Green Bay or was it against Tennessee? No, Green Bay is where it went well uh, because the basically the difference is against, uh, I, I would pull this up, but, but you guys got to I think it's Tennessee. Me. I think it was Tennessee two weeks oh, ago. okay. Yeah, my, my computer can't do anything, so that's why I, I sometimes don't look up stuff because uh, the, the, the call drops when I do. <laughs> um, but in any case, going again, yeah, it was Tennessee for sure because it was Jayon Brown. Why didn't I remember that? Um, Naheem Hines was beating Jayon Brown, and he got that touchdown where they got him in isolated coverage with, with the far away from the sideline, and then they made Jayon Brown basically cover like 20 yards laterally and, and 20 yards vertically against a guy who runs a four three seven or whatever Hines does. So they were getting s- situations like that, which you don't get against the Packers because the Packers are willing to go four or five defensive backs. That's why they, they hoard these safety types and uh, you know, they had Savage and Amos and then they got uh, you know, they, they had that Micah Hyde role for a long time that they have like Will Redman, uh, Chan and Sullivan playing in there. So they're willing to go 
with with like um, a, a safety instead of a linebacker in that spot. And if they are, then it doesn't make sense to use Hines the way that they did against the Titans because the whole reason was like, oh, we get him against Jayon Brown. And if you're going against a DB, then the Naeem Hines doesn't have the advantage anymore. So you might as well go with Taylor and run it in that situation instead. So um, I, I think Taylor's on the upswing. I think he's just going to keep getting better. I don't think Naeem Hines is good. So I'm biased, but I, I always will lean Taylor, unfortunately. I just I can't see it any other way until I think the Colts are an underdog in a game. Okay. All right. That, that definitely checks out. So it, as it stands, um, yeah, with, with, with Taylor, it's a, it's a frustrating pattern, but, but, you know, don't jump ship in, in the long run, but for right now, it does feel like it, you know, Heinz is that guy, but the, I think overall, like the, the backfield I, is just kind of a mess in Indianapolis regardless. I mean, it is the same team, so I guess they could put – if they keep putting Brown on Hines in isolated man coverage, Brown then I guess – Brown is on IR, actually. He hurt his elbow um, on a on a block against right, the – Right, that was a nasty play. So, I, in yeah. any case, if they're, if they're putting a safety on Hines, I think they go to a Taylor game plan, but I – you know, who knows. For our next game, we got a message from our friends over at PropSwap. Smart sports bettors always know where to find the best odds before placing a bet, and that's why smart bettors use PropSwap. You can always find the best odds on PropSwap because you're buying directly from other bettors like yourself. See a ticket you like but think the price is too high? Submit a bid for a price you think is fair, then buy it. PropSwap sellers are always willing to negotiate, and we all know bookies never will. And for a limited time, our listeners can get up to $500 in bonus cash. Just use the promo code ROTO500. That's promo code ROTO500. And PropSwap will match your first deposit up to $500. Become a smarter sports better today. Go to PropSwap.com or download PropSwap app. We also got a message from our friends over at BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbook by signing up today and placing your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Mario, before we get on to our next game, we got a little bit of breaking news action here on this Wednesday afternoon. Can you fill us in? Oh, yeah, real quickly. Something that might affect the Detroit offense is the fact that Mohamed Sanu is signed to the active roster. So I would have assumed Quinta Cephas would get a lot of the slot work, a lot of the outside work when Marvin Jones goes into the slot in light of Kenny Galladay and Danny Amendola both being out. But with Sanu there, and I don't know how long he's practiced there. I don't know how much he could realistically do. I, I doubt he's very good. I would I would just go with Cephas if I was the Lions. But the Lions had gone much of the year with Adrian Peterson instead of DeAndre Swift. So they might go with uh, Mohamed Sanu instead of Cephas. 
and uh, with Marvin Hall and Marvin Jones outside. And then the other thing is related to Sunday, the Colts-Titans game that we talked about uh, maybe turning a little bit better for the Colts, or sorry, sorry for the for the Titans on a sort of unfortunate uh, on an sort, sort, unfortunate basis, if so, but uh, DeForest Buckner was added to the COVID list, and it remains to be seen whether it was to the, the nature of like him being infected or uh, if it's a close contact thing from which he could still theoretically be back ahead of Sunday. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye on because if DeForest Buckner is out, uh, he's the best player on the entire team, in my opinion, for the Colts, and if he's out, that does make it easier for Derrick Henry to, to run the ball probably. Yes, that that would be huge. Any sort of loss uh, up the middle like that. And uh, I do tend to agree with you where, where Buckner really might be the best player on that roster. So it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on there. Let's move on over to our next game. We got the Cardinals traveling to New England face off against the Patriots. The Patriots two and a half point home underdogs in this one. The Cardinals uh, coming off that that loss against Seattle, had a little bit of extra time to, to get themselves ready uh, for this upcoming game against the Patriots. What's your impression here? Well, Deshaun Watson just had a huge game against the Patriots. Granted, that was in a dome in Houston. And uh, it was impressive, though, and, and notable because Stephon Gilmore was back, I thought, uh, assuming that nothing went wrong there. Um, but if, if it was... Uh, you know, kind of like I was talking about before that game, if it was that Watson had a good game, uh, it probably had to do with the sort of man coverage tendencies of the Patriots, which, you know, if they didn't relax that, now you just have to cover Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, etc. And I think they run a similar risk here. Obviously, the receiver depth isn't quite as good. But if you try to go just press man coverage all the time against this Cardinals offense, then some of my concerns about Cliff Kingsbury being like predictable with his route combos that matters less if you're going full man coverage because it is actually just kind of tough to cover four or five competently run receiver routes every single play. And with Kingsbury, you know, designing them the way that they are to, to kind of create opening possibilities at various levels of the field, that's easiest to stop if you just kind of set up a, a, a good effective zone system where you don't tangle your coverages because you just hand off these guys when they, when they split and, and you don't do so much running around. You let the offense kind of like where you let the receivers run themselves out of plays basically by just kind of going into your zone coverages. But if the Patriots try to do just like press man all the time, uh, especially with the running threat posed by Kyler Murray, that could go pretty badly for them, I think. And, you know, it's like if DeAndre Hopkins is in single coverage against J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, we still give him the, the advantage there. And right. I'd probably give Christian Kirk the advantage over Stephon Gilmore at this point. Fitzgerald is at least a lot bigger than Jonathan Jones in the slot. And then if they do go man coverage and if, if Kyler Murray is getting pushed out of the pocket a little bit by some pressure and he sees that those corners, if they're in, mo if they're in man coverage – they're turned away from him and they can't chase him if he runs. So there's ways for Kyler Murray to make big plays here as much as there's also, you know, a bit of a risk in going to Foxborough and going against Belichick. And sometimes Belichick just comes up with great ideas and you can't really do much about it until the next time you play against him. That kind of stuff could happen, but there's a lot of upside too. And if Murray does have a good game, then it could create, you know, a, a, a shootout scenario because uh, it would force the Patriots to kind of keep up with Arizona's uniquely high, clearly first in the league type of tempo. Okay, and and with that in mind, do we trust that the Patriots can succeed in that type of game script? I have no idea because 
the wide receiver personnel sucks. I, I guess we're just never going to get anything from Enkil Harry, or it's going to be a while yet. I don't know. Demir Bird, he had the big game last week. He has the revenge game narrative here. I just don't know if it's really reasonable to expect him to be that kind of player very often. He's fast, and he, he he's done some things pretty well, so, so he should be active. Uh, this this projects one of his better usage games. It's, it's just like how likely is it that he has one of his you know uh, spike weeks at the same time of as the tempo and usage going up. But it's one of his best on paper spots. Uh, I don't know if it really matters who he runs against. I don't know if they know for sure who he would run against. But if he's on even if he's on like Patrick Peterson, Peterson's like six one two ten and and slowing down at thirty. Bird doesn't get much. Uh, attention for it but he's like a burner he's a sub four three guy so right. uh, he, he could get open and uh, Damian Harris looks good so I like the run game setup certainly don't know what to make of I mean I guess James White could get going here but it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, if, the, if the Cardinals give more work to Isaiah Simmons because he he looks true truly nuts to me I, I think that guy's going to be just insanely good yeah his his breakout um Thursday against the Seahawks was like okay all right so it it is gonna happen because I think earlier on in the season it, it was he wasn't getting a ton of run and you're just like is he the next one of those guys that was just a freak in college that that it's not going to work for in the NFL and I, I didn't quite jump ship or anything like that but I was you know surprised for a top 10 pick to you know not really uh, be running as much with with the starters but he's really come on strong in recent weeks and, and he's I think insane, la- last week was his coming out party yeah he actually looked awesome against the bills too and he, he had that insane interception in that overtime game against the seahawks yes. uh, which was like his fourth snap of the game or something <laughs> and uh then against the bills two weeks ago or three whatever that was he had this one play where he ragdolled josh allen with one hand uh, Allen got the pass away at the last second, but Simmons like got his grip on him, and, and you could tell Allen didn't quite realize he didn't quite appreciate what was about to happen because what what happened never happens to Josh Allen. He's always so huge, you know, it's it's impossible to pull him down. And Simmons just just tossed him with one arm down, and, and Allen uh, I think was pretty surprised by that. I was surprised by it. Uh, and then you know he tracks down Russell Wilson last week. He tracks down DK Metcalf on the screenplay. Uh, he had the sack. He's he's nuts. He looks so huge and fast. It's just absurd. Um, anyway, but as far as the Patriots go, White should be useful if particularly Kyler Murray has a good game because it would just force the Patriots to throw the ball a bit more and and that would offset any inefficiency concerns. Otherwise, Jacoby Myers I think bounces back here pretty emphatically. Okay, all right. That, that's an important note on, on Myers and, and Bird. All the same, um, when, when it comes to that James White comment, um, you know what what else. Does the does the uh, Rex Burkhead injury from last week like what does that do for a guy like Sony Michelle who's who's off IR is he more blocked by by Damian Harris or do I have that wrong? Well, Michelle was a scratch last week, so the way I you know it's like Damian Harris was the scratch in 2019. I think it's pretty clear Damian Harris is better than Michelle. So either they create a new role, which is possible with Burkhead out. Like it it would be kind of funny actually, if they gave Michelle the previous Burkhead role and, and he cause he was expected to be like a pat. People thought he was Alvin Kamara or something when he was coming out of Georgia, certainly not a running specialist coming out of Georgia. That, that was a really surprising turn. So it would be kind of funny if he's like still a bust but ends up being that pass catching guy. Uh, I, I don't think that would happen. I think Damian Harris is a better pass catcher, but uh, there is a void there, and I, it would be a little, I guess, a little surprising to me if James White took all of it. But I guess that's on the table too. Okay. All right. So, so still 
probably no, nothing to see there as far as Michelle, and, and we, we do think I that doubt Damian it. Harris. Damian yeah. Harris looks great in his yes. role. I still think he can catch passes. I don't know if Belichick cares to look into that, but uh, otherwise it's like James White, we know he can do this. I, I think if I think if Burkhead's usage in the passing game goes to a running back, it, it pretty much has to be White, you know, putting him kind of in the workload that he was two years ago, basically. Okay, all right. So that that's definitely a positive turn for for White's value here as we as we hit the stretch and and uh, you know fantasy playoffs just around the corner. Let's get on over to the Browns going up against the Jaguars. Mike Glennon going to be starting for the Jags. So the Jags impressively uh, turning in their their own uh, tank for Trevor Case uh, with, with pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> motives there i mean uh we, we got a situation again where, where the jags are six and a half point uh home favor home underdogs against this browns team the browns are browns are a solid team don't get me wrong but still i mean being touchdown dogs at home just get, gives you with mike glennon starting just kind of gives you an, an idea of the state of affairs in jacksonville yeah i think luton was bad and i think glennon is bad but the Browns don't have Denzel Ward, which is kind of interesting because they're – I mean, we don't know what Garrett's status is either. If Garrett is out again for this one – or wait, is he out for two games? Because he was actually a positive test, right? So he was, he's he's out, yeah. So um, Olivier Vernon had an awesome game last week. It's not as if the, the defensive line is bad now. But you take out Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, that's the two best players on that defense, maybe even the eh, – yeah, defense, let's say. Uh, Nick Chubb is, of course, their best player – of all yep. time. Um, but yeah, so uh, Chubb and Kareem Hunt both look golden. That the, the, the Cleveland offense failing would be completely shocking to me in this setting. But uh, the question is, like, what can Jacksonville do on offense? And with Ward and Garrett out, I actually wouldn't be that surprised if, if Glennon can have a pretty good game, at least in fantasy terms. Like, it's one of those things like he could have 300 yards and two touchdowns. And when you're rating his performance, it's like, oh, my God, this is disgusting he sucks so much but it, like it still comes out to 302 i think that kind of thing could happen here because he has really good receivers i guess we don't know what chenault status is necessarily but all i need to know is that dj chark is on the field and that's enough for me to to maybe do a glennon gpp lineup or something because uh, dj chark's a freak and if even if you're a crap quarterback if you're smart enough to just keep throwing it at chark if, if glennon goes out there and throws it at chark 15 times then Chark could have like 200 yards and we could for a second be like, hey, Glennon's pretty good, even though it's just Chark being good that that drove the whole thing. So um, I don't know what to make of Glennon, but if if he's smart enough to just chuck it at DJ Chark, there's no one in the secondary that can run with him. There's no one in the secondary that can jump uh, and block the ball from him. He's, he's bigger and faster than everyone out there. And uh, Denzel Ward might have had a prayer, but Terrence Mitchell, Kevin Johnson, those guys don't. Well, not to not to burst your bubble, and no. you know we're, we're still a few days away from from the game, of course. But Chark did make an appearance on on the Jags' first injury report, uh, dealing with some ribs rib issue Man. right now. And I did that to DeAndre Swift last week. I spent the whole podcast <laughs> just you know parading around my unlit room, talking about how he was going to have a huge game, and then they they announced like actually he's concussed and. Uh, <laughs> Let's just uh, let's hope DJ Chark isn't, you know, the second part in, in what becomes a weekly tradition of mine. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The, the Mario Hex is becoming a, a real thing. I, we're we're going to have to talk about this and, and try to realign. It was my fault. I, I might have yes. specifically predicted that DeAndre Swift wasn't concussed. And then, you know, podcast ends. It's like, wow, I really 
really feel guilty this time. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. So the, if, if Glennon has some weapons around him, if Chark is active, if Chenault is active, then, then things could end up being decent for fantasy purposes, but otherwise would be relatively tough. How does this set up uh, for James Robinson on Sunday? I kind of feel like it's not great, but I think he's good. I just can't tell if it's fair to expect him to do well. Like, like the Jacksonville offensive line is, I don't know how good it is. Maybe it's okay. But even if Garrett's out, that Cleveland front four, and I'm especially thinking of a guy like Sheldon Richardson, but also Ogan Joby and Vernon, it's like they can kind of just win a lot in the trenches, and that would make it tough on Robinson. It's like, I think Robinson's really good, but I think he needs like kind of a base level of blocking. Like He's, he's more of like an Emmett Smith kind of running back than, a you know, obviously less of a... Barry Sanders. It's like he needs he needs a little bit of structure and he can be great with it. But I don't know how easy it is to build that initial like blocking seal when you have to deal with Sheldon Richardson and Larry Agunjobi. But we'll see. I mean, if uh, if Glennon plays well, then Robinson's golden, I think, because in that case, it's like they're moving the chains. They're giving him subsequent opportunities. But I, I am worried about him just kind of you know, if he's running the ball in first and 10 over and over, then I'm worried about him having like 10 carries for 30 yards at the end of the game. Oof. Okay. All right. So uh, I suddenly have a, a bit of a lineup conundrum in the NFFC because I have both Robinson and Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor obviously coming off that good game. Going yeah. to have to uh, go into my meditation room and, and try to try to. That is a that tough out. one. That is a tough one. Um. Let's see. And then anything out of the nor- out of the ordinary as far as the the Browns uh, fantasy side is concerned. No, I guess if I don't know what's going on with Henderson and Sidney Jones, CJ Henderson, that is. But if they're out, then that makes me feel quite a bit better about Richard Higgins. Like, I think Higgins is good, but I think he's more like a good wide receiver, too. And if he's going against legitimately top corners, then um, I think he can still win. But I'm not specifically expecting it. Otherwise, Henderson is on IR for what it's worth. Oh, that's right. I'm stupid. Yeah. So I, I do like Higgins and Landry also has a good matchup. Uh, DJ Hayden's been bad. I don't know if uh, him being out matters, but particularly if Sidney Jones is also out, then uh, Landry would be looking good. But I, this has to be one of the better on paper kind of projections for, for Landry and Higgins. And hey, that that might even mean that you could theoretically, if you had to start Baker Mayfield this week. Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, Hooper could be in play just for the fact that if, you know, if you're out there and you're getting first downs and you're logging snaps in a p- enemy territory, points eventually happen. And if, if Hooper's out there, he, he could do that, too. I still think he's good, but I, I just I don't know if Sp- Stefanski will ever use him. But uh, if, if they're just so moving weird the ball, because will, Yeah, sorry. You know, we talked about a ton in the offseason. You know, we, we focused Austin Hooper because it, it felt like it made all the sense in the world. He was, you know, a very productive player in Atlanta. Stefanski, obviously kind of famous, or at least we thought, for, for being like a, a guy that can really get the tight ends um, in, involved. Um, and it just really hasn't happened for Hooper. I know, I know, he, I know he did miss some time uh, as well. well but he's, it, it's, he's having Harrison Bryant try to play the Irv Smith, and he's having – Austin Hooper play the Kyle Rudolph, which is insane. Uh, you shouldn't have the Kyle Rudolph role if you're paying your tight end 
more than I don't know six and a half million dollars, something like that. Certainly not the the. I think now Hooper's contract is third or fourth among tight ends. It's like why not just throw him the ball? Why, why would you do this? And um, yeah, it's like it, for the role that they have Hooper in, they could have just had Max Williams and gotten the exact same <laughs> results. It's just ridiculous. And I know Stefanski's. He, he's like one of these coaches who's not overtly terrible enough to to be for everyone to be mad at, like Matt Patricia. But that's the kind of thing, like, man, I don't know how you're going to make this work if you can't see something this obvious. Like, you, you have some good answers. You have, like, some of the right answers written down. But when you need to figure it out on your own, I bet you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way um, of summing it up. Um, let's get on over to the Dolphins going up against the Jets. Dolphins kind of have created a bit of unnecessary controversy for themselves with, with the, the handling of, of Tua on Sunday in Denver. Right. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a weird situation. And I, I think, uh, particularly when it's a player as likable, well, I guess is both quarterbacks, but certainly Tua, you know, p- people have been rooting that guy, for that guy for, uh, his whole time since he showed up at Alabama and certainly in light of that injury, it was that much easier to, to hope things turned out well for him. So it, it kind of felt probably cruel to a lot of people like, hey, how are you going to put him in the starting lineup? And he goes 2-0 and and then you're just going to bench him right away for this old crappy quarterback. And I think it was a couple of things it was like one, like just because they were putting him in the starting lineup didn't mean that like they were they were going all in on some sort of scheme. I think it was just kind of like they had a plan ahead of time of we're going to try to roll them out on this sort of basis. We're going to try to get them this many practice reps uh, in in season before we put them in a game. And we're circling this game here, whichever week that was, because we just we just think he'll be ready then. And if you're going on that kind of plan, like which is to say, like trying to go along with the development of Tua, then it's still the development of Tua that you're focused on. It's not like the game endpoint or like the ups and downs that occur. So it's like, I thought they should have taken Tua out of that game strictly for human shield reasons. I just want Fitzpatrick taking those hits instead of him. So I thought it kind of made sense. And and I don't know why people specifically took it as like a slight toward Tua or something like that. Like they're going to go back to him. They just don't want him out there if it's a hopeless task and he's just getting beat up the whole time, you know? I guess my my takeaway was a little bit different in in the sense that it felt like they went to Fitzpatrick with with – having designs on, on coming back and winning the game, less less so of them in, really. So I just felt like the, the handling, the timing was weird. It, it felt like coming out of the bye, um, you know, even though Fitzpatrick had gotten the, the Dolphins to a really good spot going into the bye week, it, it felt like it was premeditated. They were going to go to Tua coming out of it uh, in week eight. And, it, you know, it, he's really turned or turned a corner the, those next two games after the debut where, you know, Arizona, he had a good game. The Chargers had, had a pretty good game as well. Didn't do as well that, you know, this past week, just the 83 yards on 20 attempts. That's not going to get it done, of course. But taking um, a lot of hits, too, is the he, thing. He, he does. And obviously you wince a little bit extra when it's him because he's had so many injury problems from his days at, at Alabama. It I don't know. I, I felt like maybe this is just like narrative brain jumping in a little bit too much for me but like it, it it felt like an unnecessary thing to like mess with your rookie psyche that that he has like a you know a short leash after you know waiting all this time to to roll him out there and then and then giving him the the quick hook it, it felt a little bit weird to me but you know i, I, I think he'll be, be fine i mean i think he'll be fine if only because it's like them putting him in on the terms that they did made clear that they weren't going away from him because they kind of like arranged it so I know he could get kind of like spooked by it or hurt or something, but as far as 
like them demonstrating their level of commitment to him, I feel like he'd be he'd be kind of loony to, to to think like, oh, they're going to go back to Fitzpatrick now. They don't like me anymore. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, in any case, going against the Jets, he's going to bounce back. And I, I think we basically forget this ever happened by, uh, you know, maybe not during the game, but probably next week at least. Okay. All right. That that definitely makes sense. Um, let's Jets, get on. Uh, over- he'll, he'll- Sorry, Jakeem Grant and into Parker, Gasicki. Somebody's going to do something. They, they're just too bad. Yes, yeah, the, the Jets are, are quite the mess right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about your impressions of the Jets' pass catchers right now. I know Darnold has a chance to come back this week, but when it when it comes to um, air yardage, uh, I'm just looking at, at Jerry Donabedian's uh, hidden stat line article, you know who led the league in air yardage last week? It was Denzel Mims, and then Brashad Perriman was just outside the top 10 uh, with 121 air yards. So, um, again, I don't really know what the quarterback situation is going to be uh, on Sunday. But if it's Flacco, not that like Flacco is an actual like improvement that, that will help the Jets win the game or anything, but he he's not hesitant to throw the ball down the field. We, we can at least agree on that right now. And that, and that can kind of help the, the projections for a guy like Mims or even Perriman. Yeah, I mean... anything conclusive or clinching or whatever. So I, I've seen it. I've seen this Mim stuff catching on a lot on Twitter and people freaking out like, Oh man, he's got the air yardage. He's, he's going to go insane. And it's like, yeah, he's had the air yardage in each of these games. And what happened exactly? I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's doing well for his part, but we got to remember like, this is the Joe Flacco jets or the Sam Darnold, Adam Gase jets. There's only so much he could do. And when you're putting up league leading air yardage and you're getting 60, 70, 40 yards a game, then I'm more so thinking, well, if he's above his air yardage baseline and it's about to come down a little bit, is that something he can afford to have happen when he's catching, you know, half of his targets? I don't, I don't know. So he could catch more of his targets as a result of the air yardage decreasing if his target volume stays the same, because then it means he's just getting the same air yardage over more attempts, which is lower difficulty targets. So, you know, it lend to more catches that could happen. But the sense that I get about Mims is that this is the kind of player he is. He's like a guy you chuck it to at the sidelines. So it's a lot of high difficulty kind of catches. And in this matchup, especially, I'm not getting my hopes up because I think this is pretty clearly a Jamison Crowder game because the slot coverage for the Dolphins, I mean, they could change something. They could do like something a little differently than they did a month ago. Like they've been using Eric Rowe in the slot a little bit. It's not just Nick Needham. But when you're in a three-corner group of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones outside and the slot corner is Nick Needham, the ball is going to Jamison Crowder more often than not because Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are good outside. And not just that, specifically Byron Jones I'm thinking of, he's exactly the kind of corner you want on guys like Brashad Perriman and uh, Denzel Mims. Xavier Howard, he ran a 4.58 coming out of Baylor. So sometimes that stuff is goofy. Maybe he's faster than that on the field. I don't know. But he is, in any case, playing well outside. So again, that's that's Perriman and Mims outside and, and Crowder in the slot. And I think Crowder's got the easiest guy by far. And I also still think Crowder is easily the best receiver of those three generally too. Well, shame on me for, for getting, uh, for even thinking for a second that <laughs> the, the, the Flacco-led Perriman Mims combo. I I think I was just tricked on on Sunday with, well, no, that, I mean, with that Chargers game. <laughs> there's a, there's a, I mean the, the Chargers game happened of course. It's just uh, so it is possible. And Mims 
he's he's at least decent. We don't know if he's more than that, but he's at least that. Perriman is probably only decent and not more than that. Um, but because it's, you know, such explosive players we're talking about, and we, we have the perspective anyway, like these are long odds. It's the, you know, effing Jets that we're talking about. So as long as people aren't kind of like losing that perspective, it's not like any harm can be done by, uh, you know, getting that qualified level of hopes up. But I do think... Even if Mims Perriman is going to be a thing this year, I just like the chances much better after this matchup. Like this week against the Dolphins is probably one of the worst matchups for them. And then in week 13 against the Raiders, that might be the best one. Interesting. Okay. All right. So that that's a good measured um, breakdown as far as this Jets offense is concerned. So good stuff there. Speaking of the Raiders, they're going to Atlanta this week. That, that Raiders offense, I mean, pretty impressive the, the way that that's functioning right now yeah. their defense I mean what can you do against the the Chiefs uh that I thought the Raiders played about as well as they could have on Sunday and really had a chance to to win that one it's just you you cannot give the Chiefs literally any time to uh to come back and get a score on right. you because they will do it. it it's unbelievable uh Patrick Mahomes is basically just like every you know slasher movie uh like Michael Myers or or uh Jason Voorhees, like just you cannot kill that guy. He he's going to come back and he's going to get you no matter what. So that's my comment on the Chiefs right now. Well, but f- focusing back on the Raiders, they're they're a team that I think um, is going to make other other opponents kind of uncomfortable if they have to end up uh, playing them uh, in the playoffs. And uh, I think a, a matchup against the Raiders should be able to you know kind of get them another win on their belt. Yeah, this Falcons team is goofy and man, it's so, so annoying about Julio last week. Have him in stake league. I was like, what? What the hell am I supposed to do with this? So so annoying. He's got another <laughs> great matchup here, and you can imagine him getting to Sunday, and it's a game time call, and they're like, Julio's active, and it's like, okay, that narrows it down to either 180 yards and three touchdowns, or 15 snaps, one catch for 10 yards on one target. One of those two things will happen here uh, because those those Raiders corners can't cover him even a little bit. They can't cover Ridley even a little bit. So it, it's like it's just so annoying to have to imagine what would happen if X, Y and Z when it's like you just cannot guess the likelihood of that. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to, to make of the Raiders side aside from that they will probably play well in pretty much all offensive respects just because the Falcons defense just isn't very good. But the question of like how much volume the Raiders offense gets is totally subject to what Julio does and what Ridley do Ridley does. So if Ridley and if Julio's out there and he's 80% and he plays 40 snaps and, and Ridley's out there and he's 90% and he plays 55 snaps, then I think you can start to think, pretty big numbers, not not just for uh, Josh Jacobs, who I guess you like, you know, just in general in this matchup, but Carr could have a big game if they're forced to throw the ball to, to, to get points, uh, to get ahead, you know, if, if Ridley and, and Julio are keeping keeping the Falcons apace. But if Julio and Ridley are not keeping the Falcons apace, no one can. And then we go into more of like a Devontae Booker kind of thing in the second half rather than Carr going over 300 yards. Do we think that there's ever been a quarterback with a bigger um, hot topic aesthetic that, than Derek Carr? <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know of anyone off the top of my head. Like there might have been one, I guess, but yeah, he had, he had a, 
he looked like a the, the good Charlotte guy or something like that. <laughs> Those guys are from Maryland. They are um, a huge mark of shame on, on my home state. So, um, well, Derek Carr is from California, and he likes them a lot. <laughs> Tough scene for sure. Um, anything else to add on to this one before we move on? Uh, no, I hate the Falcons. Okay, as as should everyone at, at this point. Very frustrating uh, football team. Uh, let's get on over. We got Giants, Bengals. Um, you know, if if the Jaguars quarterback situation is tough, the Bengals one even worse right now. <laughs> Looks like it's going to be Brandon Allen taking over. I, I I don't think he's worse than Ryan Finley, but yeah. I, I guess let's let's talk about the Joe Burrow injury for a minute, and, and you know what it what it means for him, and, and also just the, these Bengals receivers for the rest of, of this season. I, I'm legitimately concerned about Burrow now. It sucks so much. I, it's 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 just improbably annoying. It's it's kind of uh, it didn't feel quite as bad because it wasn't so visually traumatic. But it's like another Dak Prescott thing where it's just like, why would something like this happen this way? Uh, it's it sucks because Burrow. It sounds like he had a pretty memorably bad injury, first of all. Yeah. Like, he like tore all the knee ligaments. And I don't know what that means, but it, he would have been pretty short on time to get ready for week one if it were just a standard, straightforward ACL tear. Mm-hmm. With this, I don't think he's ready. Maybe, like, maybe week six, if they have the same PUP list, I don't know what's going to be going on next year. But I'm not expecting him before week six or seven or whatever it is. And I'm kind of concerned about how he can play from that point. It's, it's, you know, he, he, he's a good passer or whatever, but part of what let him be as good as he is to this point has to do with his mobility. And if that's gone, then he might have these flaws as a passer that start to matter more. And the whole thing could kind of trend downward. It's, it sucks. I, I hope he bounces back and I, I think he will eventually, but I'm, I'm not really expecting it in 2021. I'm thinking more like 2022 with that said, T. Higgins is a star receiver. Tyler Boyd, he, he's a really, really good slot receiver. So if those two are around next year, that that would help raise Burrow's floor. Maybe they can do kind of like a sort of thing like Ben Roethlisberger is doing this year where, where we can tell he's not quite right, but uh, it's good enough because the receivers are so good, something like that. This year, it doesn't matter how good your receivers are. You just can't really do that much with a Brandon Allen Although you can probably do more with a Brandon Allen than a Ryan Finley. That guy is the worst. He's like Ben DiNucci is the worst quarterback of all time in NFL history. Ryan Finley's second. I can't remember. Uh, it, 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 it's not precise, but it's close enough to true. You know, like he's just terrible <laughs> and you can't fix it. Uh, Tyler Boyd might be okay, I guess, because he's a slot guy and he's got kind of the easier targets. But Brandon Allen is is a little bit more of like a wily quarterback than an orderly check down machine so he might just kind of chuck it at t higgins a lot just because he's like hey man like like the david blau thanksgiving 2019 kind of approach where he's just like hey man i suck i'm throwing this as far as i can i I know i can't do better than that and it'd be like yeah fair enough but if he's if he does check down then of course that would suit boyd and and be pretty bad for higgins yeah a quick aside on that like I, i remember i had like a radio uh, appearance on the day before Thanksgiving last year and they asked me about David Blau and I was like you know under no circumstances and then like I plopped down to to eat some food on, on Thanksgiving you know right, right around uh, the start of that Lions game and I think Blau threw a touchdown on the first drive or something yeah. and I was just like I was in the tilt space for the entire rest of the Thanksgiving it was awful 
Yeah, he, he has like that Rex Grossman willingness to not care what the result is, and that's his greatest strength. And and I think Allen is more likely to be that way than Finley, who Finley just gets out there and collapses, whereas I think Allen, he's like, I I know I'm not going to be here very long. I know I'm not very good at this, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to take my shot kind of thing. Here I am, yeah. Um, let's, let's look at the, at the giant side of this, uh, starting off though. Um, if, if you, if they're available on your waiver wire, do you think that the giants are like a primo, uh, like streaming defense ad? Sure. Probably okay. could do it worse. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, just fantasy wise, um, what, what else are the giants looking like for, for this game up against the Bengals? I really don't know. I guess you could imagine Gallman and stupid Alfred Morris. God, what a terrible backfield. You could imagine those guys <laughs> getting a lot of work, uh, combining for like 45 carries for 80 yards and three touchdowns. I don't know. It, it depends on how many turnovers Allen, ha- Brian Allen, or, uh, sorry, Brandon Allen Brandon. has on the other side. The receivers look fine for the Giants, and I don't know what to make of the Cincinnati pass rush. And I, I know Carl Lars, Carl Lawson got going a little bit last week. He had been ice cold for almost two months before that. Carlos Dunlap isn't there. So I don't know if it matters that the Giants offensive line sucks. And if it doesn't, then you can imagine Jones, Daniel Jones having one of his better looking games because I, I think William Jackson is a good corner on one side for the Bengals and he can stop Slayton on the applicable snaps, but they don't move William Jackson. So if they put him on the other side, Slayton can burn whoever that is. Sterling Shepard can probably beat everybody in, in the Cincinnati corner rotation. And Tate, I don't know, I guess like Tate versus Mackenzie Alexander in the slot, I would call that a toss up. Maybe give the advantage to Alexander. Um, but one of Slayton or Shepard should be open. Engram, he could do quite a bit of damage in this setting. So, yeah, I think I think you can feel pretty good about Daniel Jones because he's got at least three advantages pretty much every play, and he should have more you know time to throw than in uh, at least some other games this year. Okay. All right. So that, that definitely adds up to being um, yeah, a good, good projection here for the Giants side of things. Then. The Giants, again, Five and a half uh, point favorites on the road going up against those Bengals. Let's get on over to a Chargers-Bills game that I, I think has the potential to be one of the more watchable, you know, non-playoff yeah. implication games of this entire weekend. I love it. Uh, you know, uh, char- I think the tra- I make this point like every week, but like the Chargers are so fun to watch nowadays, and then the Bill the Bills are fun to watch too. I mean. Uh, the addition of Stefan Diggs has really helped that passing game. Josh Allen just kind of a ne- never really know what you're going to get out of him. So that there's a lot of entertainment value in that one. So when it comes to to this game, what are you looking for? Well, Justin Herbert is basically what Josh Allen super fans think Josh Allen is. <laughs> and that's that's surprising to me. I mean, I I feel like I wasn't quite as low on Herbert as a lot of people going into the draft and into this year. But I didn't stand up for him exactly either. It was I was kind of a coward about it because I was like, man, all these people who I respect who who know more about quarterback play than me, they say all these bad things about Herbert. But then I look at Josh Allen and I'm like, man, how much can it matter if he sucks at throwing the ball when you're that big and that fast and you have that arm? Like Allen had only those things and he's been good for Buffalo. So if Herbert has at least those things, then he has to be good too. And it turned out, I think, 
I think it's safe to say at this point, like Herbert turned out to have skills that weren't apparent in the Oregon tape either. No. And and Allen does not. He, Allen certainly did not in the past have that. And I don't think he even has it now quite the way Herbert does. Like I know Herbert's going to have some sort of, you know, down period soon because he's just being so hysterically productive right now. But I don't think it will be that much. I think he's I think he just really is this good. And, you know, the Chargers aren't as good as the Bills, certainly. But and, and going going from Los Angeles to, to Buffalo, that, that's going to be intimidating for pretty much any quarterback with with this Bills team and certainly a rookie. So you, you give the Bills the safe advantage. But, man, this is this is almost like Josh Allen versus like from Josh Allen's perspective, the evil parallel universe of, version of himself. And uh, he's, he's got to like beat him in, in this game of football now. Bizarro, Josh Allen. We love it. Um, just looking at, at the fantasy options options here, Keenan Allen, uh, huge bounce back game that this past week. Um, what do we make of like him, Mike Williams, even even a Jalen Guyton, anything uh, going to be tough uh, on them as far as the Bills defense is concerned? Also, I want to mention, I think Brian Dable is going to be coaching the Chargers next year, so that will be interesting to watch. I hope that happens because he will he'll make Herbert very pro- – well, I guess he can't be much more productive than he has been, but I think he could be better yet under Dable's watch. But the thing about the Chargers offense in the meantime is that as much as I don't want to – I don't really want to fade Sean McDermott, and I totally think Sean McDermott can come up with a one-off game plan to if he needs to, a, a, like a good, well-coached one – but he kind of needs to here because normally the Buffalo defense funnels work toward the slot because you have Tredavious White outside. He generally doesn't go into the slot. So Tredavious White, if he's outside, it's tougher to throw that spot than it is in the slot where Teron Johnson and uh, somebody else, I can't remember, have been bad all year. And then you got uh, Levi Wallace at the other corner spot, and they, they kind of have a, a – they kind of tilt the, the safety coverage to give him a little help, and then in these – limited responsibilities he's good at those things so it's it's tougher to throw there than you might guess so you kind of you kind of just end up throwing toward the slot anyway and then keenan allen being the slot receiver in question it's like well what you can't just let them throw 20 times to keenan allen you have to change something so i don't know what mcdermott will do differently it would probably have to do with jordan poyer or micah hyde doing something a little more different than a little differently than they usually do i just don't know if it matters And, and if you do too much getting cute trying to stop Keenan Allen, then Herbert can hit that deep throw. We've seen it. Uh, he, he's almost automatic at it if you don't put a safety over the top. So Guyton can outrun uh, Wallace pretty easily. He can outrun pretty much any Bills corner aside from Tredavious White. I don't remember what Josh Norman's doing at the moment, but he can't cover Mike Williams or Jalen Guyton deep. So if it's either, you know, it's almost like a pick your poison kind of thing. And it only depends on, in that case, Herbert making the shot. And maybe he misses it, but they need him to miss, probably, uh, rather than you know really be able to, to dictate things. Or, or So that's kind of how I see it. Uh, I had some, some Jalen Guyton in DFS last week. Had a uh, full Chargers stack. Um, runs 50 routes. Good. One target. Bad. Four air yards. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why Keenan Allen got 18 targets or 19 targets or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like they're they're covering Guyton deep, so we're just going to keep throwing underneath to Allen until something changes. And usually it's like the next game where that kind of thing changes. And so it's annoying, but if, if Buffalo doesn't take Guyton lightly, Herbert will go there. Okay, all right. That, that or if is, they do take Guyton lightly slightly. 
Sorry. Right, right. Yeah, because he, he, he has proven he, he can he can definitely hurt you um, if he does get the targets um, on the Bills side of this. Uh, what are you looking for? Wait, also, is Eckler back for this game? I think his his window is open now. OK, um, and I hope he gets right. back. He's going to be so awesome in the Herbert offense. People haven't been developing a appropriate level of hype for that. Like some people, I think some people still think that like, oh man, Austin Eckler is going to rotate with uh Kalen Bellage or something. No, man, he's, he's going to light up defenses in this, in this scheme with Herbert at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there's such a huge th threat of the past now that, that you have to respect and, and that just is going to, he's open awesome. For people still don't yeah. get that. Austin Eckler is really, really good. And he was producing at a very high level even before we knew what Herbert was going to bring to it, it it's it's going to be explosive. Yes, uh, that that's a really good call. I, I actually now come to think of it, I can't wait for that because the, the Chargers, uh, you know, already were kind of outperforming the, my expectations and uh, getting Eckler back in the fold would, would make them even uh, all the more fun to watch. Let's go on over to the Panthers versus the Vikings. Vikings coming off of a disappointing loss uh, this past week. <laughs> you know you you know you don't want to lose say to you don't want to lose Danny Dalton and then uh the Panthers to you know uh to their credit took care of business with PJ Walker um at quarterback looks like Bridgewater will be good to go for this one I think he practiced in full on Wednesday so going up again against his former team uh got to hit the revenge narrative quota at least once um per podcast <laughs> what are your expectations on this matchup yeah, this could be a bit of a shootout. It's hard to tell. I think Phil Snow is, I know I keep saying this, I'm probably the only person who talks about Phil Snow on any <laughs> recorded medium, but it's appreciated. I, think, I think he's doing a good job there. So I don't, I don't want to just assume that Kirk Cousins will throw the ball well just because his receivers are so much better than the Carolina corners, because I, I do worry about Phil Snow just doing kind of like Vic Fangio stuff. But short of that, and even if he's even if he got good like Vic Fangio's own coverage stuff going on, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen both seem uniquely suited to beating zone coverages. There's I mean and man coverage too, but it's it just seems like something they're totally okay with. Like I don't know if it's harder for them to run against that kind of coverage. Some some guys are just better against man than zone, but I don't know if that's true for either of them. Don't know what to make of the Cousins part of that, of course, though. It's it's like he's the guy that I don't trust there. But if Cousins is playing well and if Bridgewater is playing well, those Minnesota corners can't cover those Carolina receivers. And those Carolina corners are probably going to be in mostly zone kind of looks. And, and if they do go man coverage, that's fine. Jefferson and Thielen will beat them, too. So it's, it's kind of like how much can Carolina push the issue and – how does Minnesota respond if so? Because it, it also could just be like Dalvin Cook runs for 200 yards and that's why Thielen or Ann Jefferson don't have a big game. But short of that, in the event that Bridgewater plays well, I feel like Thielen and Jefferson both have to be really good there. So uh, there's also a possibility of just like everybody, you know, kind of by everybody in the Vikings case, I just mean Thielen, Jefferson and Cook. Um, and then in the Carolina case, you know, two of the receivers, probably not much for Mike Davis, by the way. I think in a, in a funny way, the, the Minnesota, uh, specifically Eric Kendricks being on the Minnesota defense might almost be bad for for Minnesota here just because if Mike Davis isn't getting touches because Eric Kendricks is shutting him down every play, that's just forcing the Panthers to throw at these corners who don't want to cover these receivers. So that that would be kind of funny if, if like Carolina tries to feed Mike Davis coming out. It's like, man, Kendricks is just shutting him down every play. 
I guess we're going to have to throw it Cam Dantzler with uh, DJ Moore now. And like that kind of thing is not what I would want if I was a Vikings fan. Have you watched the Queen's Gambit yet? No. Oh, okay. I'm I'm just kind of like I'm picturing you doing the the same thing that the main character does, where she like re- replays her chess matches like in her head on the ceiling, and I'm kind of envisioning you doing a similar thing uh, <laughs> with with these um with these Vikings corners getting getting murked by the by the Panthers receivers because Mike Davis is getting shut down by by Eric Kendricks. Um, anything else to to add on uh, here before we move on? No. Alrighty. Saints Broncos. What's going on here? Uh, I don't like it. Um, I don't know. Taysom <laughs> what Hill, was your What was your Taysom Hill experience on Sunday? Well, I didn't understand really any of the hoopla. This is definitely a who care he's, thing, Mister Hoopla. Like no matter what, it, it's I always. I just don't know why always... people cared so much. But, well, actually, I do. <laughs> it was because there was a lot of litigation on the subtext going on, and when you see these people who are like melting down, like why would Sean Payton play Taysom Hill at quarterback? It is unthinkable that they would play Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston. It's like, come on, man, you're not really talking about. Jameis Winston this way like you you're you're litigating something else and I think what everybody was or what a lot of people were litigating is specifically that Brady Papinga comment from last year or whatever when he said no Lamar Jackson is a wannabe Taysom Hill and I think (laughs) I think we have Lamar Hive a little sensitive uh, over that like they to them it became like if Taysom Hill has a good game then it's like Brady Papinga wins and nobody wants that nobody wants Brady Papinga to win um, but he didn't either. It's like Taysom Hill. The middle ground is where you, everyone should have been on that one because the middle ground had this big open space for Taysom Hill to simply be kind of a bad passer and a pretty good runner against a bad defense. And that turned out to be more than enough. I don't think you can expect him to throw well in other settings, though. So specifically going to Denver against Vic Fangio is like the last thing that I want for Taysom Hill here. So um, I thought I thought it was like last week was was the right call to go with him. And it, it's probably the right call to go with him this week. I don't know. Maybe maybe it isn't. But it at least is is less obvious this time because I I think Taysom Hill was not exactly good as a passer against the Falcons. It was more like the, when you're throwing in the Sean Payton system and when you're going yeah, against the Falcons. He just stayed within defense. himself and it, and it succeeded. He just did what the system dictated and it worked. Right. And Vic Fangio will kind of know where his weaknesses are and push it more toward the forefront. So if I was the Saints, I wouldn't want Taysom Hill throwing more than like 20 passes in this game. And if, if he throws over 25, then I might, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a paradox. Like if I think if he throws more than 25 passes, he might get benched here, but I don't know if he gets to 25 passes if he's that bad. So um, I know people were predicting Jameis Winston playing last week. I didn't. I, I much more easily could imagine that in this case. Okay, that that is an interesting call, and and you know this is a, a dome Saints team going on the road to Denver in late November. That's not necessarily a great setup. So actually. For as little as I, I think of the of the Broncos as currently constructed um, in, in some ways, I like them plus six and a half at home against a dome team like this. Yeah, I'm more feeling. Yeah, I see the the under has the over under has already gone down two and a half points, so that's uh, that's a missed opportunity perhaps. But I I would have liked the under from 46 certainly and. I don't know. I, I still think the Saints defense is good, and I think they'll travel fine. So I don't really want to 
I'm not getting my hopes up for the Broncos doing anything in particular. I, I kind of hate no. their offense right now, actually. But uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah, six, six points, like you said, is quite a bit. And I, I just don't think I don't think the Saints can get anything through the air here. Like, I, I think Kamara needs to go over 100 or Hill needs to have uh, a game like he did against Texas uh, at BYU when he ran for like 250 yards. I, I just don't know how he remember. Yeah, I just don't know how he throws the ball in this one. I, I just don't trust him. Okay, yeah, it is hard to trust him. Uh, you know, I don't think that it'll be as comfortable of a situation as it was um, a week ago for him in, in his starting debut. Um, so, yeah, that this could go off the rails a little bit for that, for that Saints offense if that ends up um, being the case. And then uh, one last thing, what, what was your takeaway from uh, Michael Thomas finally having a, a Michael Thomas game? I don't know. I didn't see it coming. I didn't. They didn't run the offense quite the way I would have. I would have made it more like uh, the good Baltimore offense or something like the Bills offense. Like I would specifically want both safeties to have to respect the the run threat by Taysom Hill left right. And to do that, you would need to get Kamara a lot of looks to establish you know the inside run threat. And and, and I would also try to get some option looks, things like that. Stuff that. Stuff that lets Taysom Hill's rushing threat play off of Kamara's rushing threat and make the defense, uh, you know, struggle with which gaps to defend and and how aggressively and hopefully get them uneven. But instead, they pretty much ran the Drew Brees offense. And I know that Taysom Hill ran more otherwise, but like Michael Thomas got Sean Payton customary wide receiver one numbers in that game. And then Kamara pretty much disappeared to make room for it. So I, I at once didn't expect that to happen. And so... I, I, I'm probably not the person to guess what happens next, but it also feels unsustainable to me. And, and particularly when, if, if I'm right that Taysom Hill can't throw against Fangio, then it you know doesn't matter how good Thomas is. And maybe they don't go to Kamara in light of that, but it's like that's their only choice as, as far as I see it. Okay, interesting, interesting stuff there. Let's go Niners-Rams. Uh, this this would have been a good matchup. I, I just like, it's hard, to, it's hard to quantify what, you know, the... The, the level to which this year has gone poorly for for the 49ers. I mean, every significant player is hurt significantly. Uh, it's just, it's brutal. And I, I really started to eat crow as far as the Rams are concerned. I, I thought that last year was indicative of, of how they were going to be under Goff moving forward. And like the Rams had been figured out and definitely wasn't expecting a, a defensive improvement in light of Wade Phillips' Um, being gone from the from the defensive coordinator spot but you know all of those things have proven to be wrong I mean the Rams coming off that impressive win Monday night in Tampa Bay where they they battled um, and they and they got it done in pretty impressive uh, fashion I, I thought um, so on matched up yeah I think that the Rams are still kind of who you thought they were last year it was more like we uh, y- you might have underestimated how much McVay could just make it work anyway, just yeah. because I, th- I think both of these teams are super obvious examples of how good coaching can hide bad quarterbacks in this league. And not many coaches can, it's, it's certainly not like a sustainable model for team building, but it's like McVay and Shanahan are those kinds of guys. And it, even for them, it gets tougher, you know, when the defense makes counter adjustments, it's like they're, they're at their best when they can catch you by surprise. And, and if they do catch you by surprise, you just can't really do anything about it until next week until you, can sit down and look at like, well, what the hell were they doing? Like they didn't, we didn't see this before. And then you can prepare for that and and maybe get them eventually. But yeah, particularly with that Buccaneers game, it's like you, you saw it pretty early. It's like McVay got him. 
Like Arian's got God already. He, he yep. can't catch McVay in this one. It's like maybe next time, but this one's over already. Um, or at least as far as the, the, the Rams offense versus the defense went, it's like Brady could have just answered and won in response, but it's like the Rams, McVay had, I guess I could have said Todd Bowles more specifically, but um, I don't blame Todd Bowles. Arians gets the blame. So he's such a uh, whiner, but uh, I think, I think in any case, the Rams are, always going to be that way where it's like they can at once lose because of golf especially but even if golf is threatening to lose a game for them mcveigh can just intervene and basically like do sex machina the whole thing toward the rams's favor but in this game it's it's tough to figure out because you know there's there's not the same things at stake as usual and you can almost imagine mcveigh maybe not showing so many tricks in this one because he he, he would be probably reasonable to assume that this Ram, uh, sorry, this 49ers team can't beat the Rams with all the injuries that they have. So, uh, it, I guess if the if the if the 49ers can somehow make a game of it, then we maybe start thinking like, well, what can the Rams offense do here against this you know beat up 49ers defense? But I, I think it might just kind of be like we uh, don't see an aggressive game. We we see you know the Rams trying to run the ball a lot and and maybe get you know one of those games where 10 carries each go to each of those Rams running backs and golf gets out with like 200 yards and a touchdown or two. I, I, I guess what I will say about um, my, my expectations for, for the Rams offense is that we, I think we can both agree that, that golf, not great. Anytime that he he's pressured or, or anything like that, it, it's not a great proposition to like need him to, to win the game for you. But in a situation like this, where the Niners, probably won't be able to to hurry him too too much just because of that lack of, of pass rushing personnel when Goff is able to get time to to operate and, and get through his reads he he can be fairly surgical so yeah. I, I do kind of like his pro- projection for this week actually yeah I mean that's that's uh that's definitely true I, I do think that's one of those things though where it's it's kind of like how NBA guys uh, I know Shannon will always tell us like uh he, he always would say like Ben Wallace could you know make three pointers all day and and oh in the open gym, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like yeah if you give an NFL quarterback all day in the Sean McVay system it's like yeah I don't know I think CJ Beathard would have a chance uh, kind of thing <laughs> uh, fair uh, fair but in any case you're right no he he makes he makes legitimately good throws at times like legitimately difficult throws. Uh, it's 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 always a question of like how much can McVeigh hide his his weaknesses and, and reduce the game to those plays instead of uh, letting the really ugly ones pop up. Okay, all right, that that definitely um, yeah that, that makes sense. Um, as good far setting as for him here, like you said, sorry, uh, like you said though, it is a good spot for it shouldn't be a stressful spot for Goff here. No, so I I might actually chase a a, a little bit of a of a Rams stack for for this matchup. Maybe see if I could, I don't know if that'll be the chalky one to to target or not. I don't think but. it would be. So, uh, but it makes sense because if if Shanahan makes it a game somehow, then then the Rams have to respond. You know. Yes, definitely. But um, you know, the, this this game doesn't have the highest over under. It's you know forty four and a half or or whatever. So I mean. It might be a little bit one-sided. If it is one-sided, then, you know, figure it's going to be the Rams putting up the points. But um, I don't know. I'll have to go and tinker in the lab w- with it. But I, I, I'm, I'm working on a potential Rams stack for some DFS lineups for Sunday. Um, let's go over to what what is probably the, the game of the weekend. Chiefs, Bucks, Brady, Mahomes. I mean, so much goodness in this game. And, you know, with the game taking place 
at 425 Eastern. You don't have to worry about Brady getting sleepy and, and being, you know, outside of his bedtime. So we should I don't get know. That's still Brady. a little late. I think five o'clock. Well, know. yeah, the I mean, supper at you know, he's going to miss the blue plate special. I get it. <laughs> he gets his supper at this time and he goes to bed by 530. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think I think that uh, that that was kind of like an ugly game for Tom against against the the, the Rams and I, I think he really is just that guy at this point. Like he's just not very he has some rough spots and he can put up the fantasy numbers that we want to see just because of kind of the the offense around him and you know having a good defense that gives you shorter fields that that's all good stuff too. But I just don't know. I don't know if he has the stuff, you know, to to keep up with Mahomes at all. Even nope. even if even if Mike Evans has an advantage, which he does, this will be the easiest coverage Mike Evans has seen in at least a couple weeks. And uh, Chris Godwin over Rashad Fenton, Tyron Matthew, it doesn't really matter to me. I feel like Godwin can beat those guys. Um, but I don't know. Brady just looked like crap in that game. Seemed very screen dependent. I can't tell if this usage for Antonio Brown is them trying to make a point or if it's like. If they're doing that, thinking we got to get Brown going this week for I don't know why someone would think that, but it's like maybe they thought that and maybe that's why it, they did it that. Does kind of feel that way. I it agree with does, that. but it's like man, it's it's almost like a it's reminding me a little bit of like Deontay Johnson or something. Where it's like congratulations on a uh, all these six yard catches, but like you guys just gave him 15 targets for like 75 yards. Like, what are you doing? Get the ball to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, you idiots. Get it to Gronk. I don't care. Like, like, like Brown's making all these little catches, and people are thinking like, PPR guys are like, man, he's so good. Like, no, this is this is crap. This is useless. Um, Brown is still good. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's just so obvious when a when a team is doing that, where they they're they're trying to force feed him more than he can actually eat. Like. Just give the ball to Godwin. This is ridiculous. But um, anyway, I guess I don't know if they're going to keep trying that. I don't know if they're going to shift more toward a, a more balanced sort of target scheme. But if they want to keep throwing screen passes to Antonio Brown uh, while the Kansas City uh, offense operates on the other side, I guess they're free to see how it goes. I bet it doesn't work. Okay. Yeah, the, I, um, yeah that, that, that will be interesting to, to monitor how the, how the Bucks approach it through the air. Um the, this is uh, a matchup of two of like the more frustrating fantasy backfields um, in, in the league, you know, because they're both great offenses. But but, um, you know, it's been hell trying to, to guess right on the on the Bucks and the Chiefs backfields. Any leans as far as those are concerned for this weekend? I got to defer to the league, guys. I, I think I guess you get more interested in Leonard Fournette on the Tampa side, the more you project the, the Chiefs to get a lead. And the more you like Jones depends on how close the game is, I guess. I think in the Kansas City side, you just kind of defer to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's a starter. I don't. It's like one of those things. Bell could have the better game, but I have no idea how anyone could predict it. It just it feels like a random sort of occurrence. If so, mostly on the Chiefs side, I think it's going to be. Uh, not that this is especially new, but I think it's going to be a big Travis Kelsey game, and aside from that, it's going to be a big Tyreek Hill game, and. Uh, Forgive my bold prediction. It's just that <laughs> I think that Tampa and their tendencies play poorly for them against an offense like this, and especially a receiver like Tyree Kill. And I'm specifically thinking about Tampa, Tampa Bay. If they keep doing what they've been doing, they're going to try to shadow Tyree Kill with Carlton Davis. Maybe they don't do that. Maybe this is all moot. But if they do that, it won't work. Like Carl, Carlton Davis is a really good corner. 
that's just not true the same way against a receiver like Hill. It's like you want Carlton Davis covering Sammy Watkins. You don't want him. Not that you want anybody on Tyree Kill exactly, but Carlton Davis is the slowest of the three main Tampa Bay corners. Like Sean Bunting Murphy's faster. Jamel Dean especially is faster. What was I with Lewis Riddick talking about how Jamel Dean was bad all that game? That was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, he, he, was, yeah, he was really getting on him. He really got it in his head that that was true, and it's not. But whatever. In any case, if they try to put if not not just Carlton Davis in a matchup, but if they specifically try to do the, the other stuff that you usually do when you're using a shadow corner, which is like not give them a whole lot of safety help, that's just the opposite. You know, it's it's, not, it's the opposite of what you want to do against Tyreek Hill because no one can cover him in that situation. It's a hopeless task. So the way everyone normally plays Kansas City is to put two safeties over the top all the time. And that's why you see. Uh, the underneath game getting some work some of the times. And that's why you, Travis Kelsey has a big game every single week this year because teams just sit deep. They're like, well, we don't really like this, but we can't let Tyreek score on the first play. So I guess we're just going to let Travis Kelsey catch 10 passes. And that's how it's played every week. And I think Tampa Bay, it's not their nature to do that. And it, they could end up an example of why you really can't do that against the Chiefs. Okay. Yeah, it, that's an interesting call there. So um, I, I could definitely see it bearing out that way. Really looking forward to this one. That should, it should be one of the best games of the weekend, maybe even the season, really. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Sunday nighter, we got Bears-Packers. Bears, Ooh. yeah, it's not great. It's not great what's going on with, with the Bears right now. The, the Pack, uh, coming off of, of that game in Indianapolis this past week, uh, they, they still have a little bit of flaws. I don't think that they're running quite as hot as they were in, in September. Um, so what, what's the read here? Well, the Bears might make it tough in that, you know, maybe it'll be cold. Maybe uh, the Bears defense, they have some good players, despite the, the team being so dumb in general. But usually, historically, between these teams, the Lambeau factor just kind of smashes the whole the whole question. It's like when Green Bay is good, the, the Bears can't win at Lambeau, basically. And uh, the, the Soldier Field part of that would be like, the Packers sometimes lose there because it's in Chicago, but it's 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 always like the death wish to go to, to Lambeau. And I, I think this is one of those cases because uh, you, you're right. The Packers don't have exactly they certainly don't have like a breadth of options. It's like they're very linear and limited in, in the ways they can beat you. They've been very good at it because mm-hmm. Devontae Adams is infallible this year and Aaron Jones is so good. But when they need a third punt, a third option to come up, sometimes they just don't and they just lose for it uh, or they go to Marquez Valdez Scantling and he had his issue last week but I, I feel like you know if you can't stop Devonte Adams then you need to score some points on your side at least and I don't know why the Bears would do especially well there it's like Allen Robinson is awesome but this quarterback play is so bad and if he's getting shadowed by Jair Alexander it's like I, at once I don't want to say Robinson will lose because he's really really good and he, he sometimes has his best games against really tough corners but I, I feel like he, it's just like Allen Robinson versus the entire Packers team, and it's in yeah. Rambo. So what can he do about it? Yeah, it's 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 brutal. I mean, to to see a talent like Robinson. I mean, all the under the hood stats, you know, they they look pristine for him. But um, you know, it just doesn't always translate into into great production because I, I think that I mean, it's such a, a weight around him when when you have the combination of Mitchell Trubisky and, and now Nick Foles back there. It's just hideous quarterback play that, that really hinders his fantasy production on, on a week to week basis. Um, 
Any thoughts on uh, David Montgomery coming into this one? It looks like he's he's back from uh, concussion protocol. Uh, well, I guess if you're picking the under or the Bears to cover, you can feel good about the matchup part of it. Uh, well, so certainly you can feel good about the matchup part of it, but if, specifically if you're on those two sort of theories of this game, you could feel good about the game flow for Montgomery. I don't really see that myself, so I'm not really on it, but... I think Montgomery's okay. I know a lot of people hate him now, but it's like, we're the original Montgomery haters. We're the ones who can speak on this, if anyone will. And it's like, he's fine. He's just an average running back, you know? He was, it was good. It was the time to criticism was back when people were saying, David Montgomery's the best running back and Hakeem Butler's the best receiver. Yeah, like that stuff was such a, you just could not break through that analysis meme of the time and, and of course the people who peddled it don't really want to bring it up these days but nope. um that's that was putting unfair expectations on montgomery and now he's like bearing the brunt of it instead of the people who conjured these totally unrealistic expectations it's him who's getting all the backlash which is silly um he's fine it's a, he just needs things to fall in his favor to be good in fantasy and usually that doesn't happen on the bears no, it really doesn't, and uh, I'm not I'm not sold that that it will this week. Even though the Packers can break down against the run sometimes, and we saw it last week. We've seen it previous examples. I mean, Dalvin Cook is sort of an exception, not the rule, but I mean he he was such a huge reason why the, the Vikings were able to do what they did um, against the Packers earlier this year. So, um, all of that being said, that this does not look great for Lambo. the Chicago Bears. Um, finishing it out. Uh, another team struggling with its quarterback play, kind of God. just having an in-season identity crisis. The Philadelphia Eagles play host to the Seattle Seahawks. What's up here? Well, some of some of it's going to come down to the Seattle injury report, specifically those two outside corners. What else is new? So I don't know what's. I can't. The Seahawks never update their injury reports on their website. I don't know what's going on with Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar this week. They were both out last week with a hamstring and a knee respectively. If either of those two is out, then maybe even the Doug Peterson Eagles could can move the ball uh, in, a, in a real NFL game. And just because the, the Trey Flowers is so bad, DJ Reed, he might be an okay slot corner or something, but he's, he's not stopping completions right now. So I can imagine the fact... Okay, so first of all, I still... I have, the, I have a really weird feeling you know theory about the eagles and it could be wrong I, th- I think they're just a weird case though where the players are basically good and maybe even the coaches are good but it's it's not going to work anyway like the whole thing is just botched something's wrong it needs to be torn up uh recycled put back together in a new way and i like changes of scenery need to happen and specifically i think they need a new scene at coach because it Doug Peterson has any coherent idea of how to deal with these various problems and the results don't match the talent level you know it's like I don't even think Wentz is that good I've never been a Wentz guy or anything but I know he's not this bad it's like other I mean he looks unplayable almost like the the way that he runs into sacks and and basically makes his own turnovers out out of nothing is he looks crazed he looks like he's (laughs) out of his mind and it's like, well, what the hell happened here? I know he wasn't this bad before. Like he's 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 not physically busted. How can this be explained? And it's like usually the explanation is like you can't fix it. Like it just needs you need to go away and try again later. But against the Seahawks without Dunbar or Griffin, maybe the fact that Jalen Rager is a good receiver and uh, Travis Fulgham I think could bounce back. I don't really like him against those corners so much. I, they're built for a guy like him. But Jalen Rager. 
man, if, if one of Dunbar or Griffin is out and they don't get Jalen Rager going in this game, they, they got to fire Peterson like right there. Like you, <laughs> it looks, regardless it looks of like Dunbar the... is going to be out. It, it looks okay. like he's, a, he's on injured reserve right now. It looks like Griffin will be able to play though, or at least it's trending in that direction right now. Well, at least one of Fulgham or Rager should be open on nearly every play, as long as one of those two corners is out. So that's good news. Um, but yeah, it's like if if they if they really can't get Rager or Fulgham to have a big game here, then regardless of what excuses there might be, it's like Peterson, you're just not up to this. This was an easy one. It's it's amazing just how quickly it, it's unraveled in Philadelphia. Like like you said, you got it's still by. a by. Yeah. It's 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 absolutely wild, and you know, like the the going for two all the time now. It just feel, it feels like some it feels like he's almost crazed, uh, just like Wentz is right now. It, it, to me, it looks like Wentz is just constantly trying to like. It feels like every second of every play, it's the last play of the game, and that's not how he should be doing it. He's trying to do way too much. It seems like. Yeah, that is true, and I mean Peterson is clearly disoriented too. They're just, they're just at a loss. That's why you see them game to game, just like, uh, what if this guy plays a lot? What if we, what if we do this? Uh, does that work? And it's like every time, like, no. Why would, why would you think that would work? It's a bad idea. Go back to the good <laughs> ideas. And it's like, oh, we don't have any. Yeah, we're we're fresh out. Um, and then on, on the Seahawks side of this, how how do they set up against the the Eagles defense? Well, the Eagles tend to play pretty good run defense, and so you can imagine Carlos Hyde, Chris Carson, whoever it is, kind of not getting much going on the ground. But I don't see what the Eagles can do to slow down the Seattle passing game. Like they just they need Russell Wilson to miss. Or I guess the pass rush could be that much of a problem. But I, I generally don't believe in the, the, the we've heard these legends of like the Seahawks losing because Russell Wilson didn't have enough time to throw. I don't really believe that. I feel like Wilson will always make it work as long as there's someone to throw the pass to. And against this defense, even if Darius Slay does well against DK Metcalf, he, he just can't cover him. And the other guys can't cover Lockett. They can't cover David Moore. They can't cover Freddie Swain. So I think Wilson has a pretty easy game here, potentially with a a lot of volume and efficiency both. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is an absolutely great setup for Wilson, of course. Um, and and to, on the Eagles side, if they can't get it get anything going, like I don't expect them to win, but if they like don't even show a pulse um, against this Seattle defense, then then I think that like you said, it might be time to to clean house there in Philly, if it's not already. Um, But that's going to round it out. Uh, Once again, thank you for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast. Hope you have a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving. Mario and I will be back next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.